Hello and welcome. My name is Mark Blatstein, the physician founder of Physician Pre-Sentence Report Service. So today I'm going to take time and go into the task at hand, which is you beginning to write your narrative, which is your story, your autobiography, everything about you first person. And I'm going to try and give you a simpler way to think about it. So it's easier to do. Everything that we do in life is guided a lot by a story. It starts off, I guess, when we're in elementary school, junior, junior high school, with maybe dating. But everything from Nike to Tesla, iPhones, TikTok, all brands are bombarding us every day with their story about their particular brand. And so our story, which is our narrative, is our brand, if you will, of ourselves. And why do we, why we have to do this is because right now the Department of Justice has their story, which is their indictment of us or of you. And so in order to change that, before it gets to the judge, and stays on your record forever as being the only narrative or of, or story of who you are is now. And so I've, I have to be transparent when it, about 20 years ago, when this happened to me, I was convicted of a felony. I was 2010 able to get my license to practice reinstated in full, but I didn't know I was unprepared, which is, what caused me to change careers from patient care into making sure that preparation, that all of you are prepared for what you're about to face. So a major part of that is preparing you for preparing you for your pre-sentence interview. And a major part of that consists of preparing you for drafting what is the narrative, the reentry plan, and with the first step back is the assessment survey, Spark 13 assessment survey. And all of this can be prepared. And when woven together into a document, <clears throat> can be provided by your attorney to your probation officer several weeks before the interview so that it is woven into the pre-sentence interview with, and makes it into the pre-sentence report so that during the interview, then the probation officer is net, not spent all of their time filling out paperwork and typing, but rather speaking with you. And they can personally get to know you, which may have or may result in a much better outcome for you. So let's get to it. I didn't know about any of these things and there was no first step back, but I've been taking my time and I've been listening to podcasts as I drive the last number of years. I've been listening to TED Talks. I've been listening to a gentleman, Guy Raz, G-U-I-R-A-Z. He has two uh, podcasts. One is How I Built This. The other is Wisdom from the Top. They're both excellent. 
Guy Raz, I mean, he it's amazing. He started out just as a correspondent, but he's profiled more than 10,000 people from Bill Gates to Consolisa Rice to Taylor Swift, Mark Zuckerberg. He has been awarded Edward Morrow and Daniel Shore Journalism Prizes. He's two, he has been he has reported and contributed to two DuPont Awards and one Peabody for to NPR. I mean, the guy has done a great job, and both of these programs are incredible. One of his shows where he and he interviews people who have built phenomenal phenomenal organizations and how they do it. One of the interviews, and I've I've uh, focused on four. So the first one is Tristan Walker, and he really he founded a company called Bevel. I don't know if any of you have heard it, but in the interview, and Tristan was saying that he woke up one morning with razor bumps all over his face, and he had no idea why, and he soon discovered. That like him, him many men, many men of color were frustrated because there were no shaving pro products for those with coarse or curly hair. He had spent fifteen years with countless meetings with investors that just didn't want to invest in him, but finally he was able to launch Bevel, a subscription shaving cream built around a single blade razor. And guess what? It made it all the way to Procter and Gamble. And he became Procter and Gamble's first black CEO. Why do I include this? Going to prison is not a descent. It's a temporary venture. I'm not going to tell you it's easy. I'm not going to tell you it's not frustrating. I will tell you going in unprepared is, an, is nuts. I'll just say it in one word. You have to be prepared. You want to learn more, go to my website. Or I can talk to you on the phone. But. You don't want to go unprepared. Wisdom from the Top, another one of his shows. He interviewed, there were three. He has a lot of interviews. One of them is Zen Fitz, Jay Fulcher. I included this because Zen Fitz, Jay says that all growth, which makes sense, is not good. Sometimes it's, it's, too, it's too fast. But in this particular company, his focus is on infusing integrity into a toxic culture. He goes in to explain it, and it's worthwhile listening to. But the moral of the story, I think, is clearly expressed in its mission. David Ramsey made a lot of money, lost a lot of money by the age of 30. And then he went on again writing and selling books out of the trunk of his car with the baby being married. And that was a pretty rocky relationship, but he wound up making millions and then starring having his own radio talk show. Both of these, again, I show you because you will properly plan for with the narrative and a re-entry plan and a good criminal defense attorney who practices in criminal and federal court for a fed because you have a federal crime is where you want to be. GE, this is going to be the longest one was Beth Comstock, an interesting woman. Her bio was that she's comfortable with change. She went from wanting to be pre-med, a doctor, to journalism, to working in publicity with NBC. 
so that when GE bought NBC, or excuse, yeah, when GE bought NBC, <clears throat> they started her advertising. And guess what? She worked her way through GE to become their first female vice chair of business innovation. Again, if you apply yourself, it can be done. You just need to, I don't, I don't know that this is planning as much as just constantly working forward. The next podcast is going to be the gentleman who hosted it is called David Novak, How Leaders Lead. And again, all these podcasts are me trying to learn from those that are much more successful than I. I don't think anyone expected the having, if you would have asked, you know, if I would have asked myself, if I would have asked any of my colleagues, if any of you would have asked, you know, people that you know, if you'd be facing, you know, a federal indictment, I don't think anyone would have said, oh, yes, definitely. <clears throat> David Novak, he was... I don't know if he founded, but he definitely was a um, a force to be reckoned with with Yum Yum Brands. They are KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut. And he took the company from a $4 billion to $32 billion company, 45,000 restaurants in 135 countries. And so he is definitely a people person, and he interviews other leaders who know how to grow companies and just work with people. And so this is kind of the place that we want to be. Irvin Levine, while you may not know the name, was a developer of Waze, which was acquired by Google for a billion dollars. He also developed MoveIt, which was ways, but for public transport, transportation, which was acquired by Intel. So now he's a serial entrepreneur of which there's very few, also a billion dollar acquisition in his behalf. And he wrote a book, Fall in Love with the Problem, Not the Solution, a handbook for entrepreneurs. So I'm not telling all of you that you're going to be an entrepreneur, but what I'm at, I am saying is that or what I am relating is that he believes and he's telling his story is that fall in love with the problem, which is in his case was his own North star, but we need to make our North star because his North star created value in his company for his employees. And for us, our North Star is our North Star is our problem, and our problem is being able to communicate with our stakeholders. What are stakeholders? Stakeholders are those that will be responsible for now that we're guilty, they are responsible for our future. That's our attorney, the probation officer that writes our pre-sentence interview, which will become our pre-sentence report. The, pre the probation officer will also recommend our sentence and placement to the judge. The judge themselves, 
the Federal Bureau of Prison Designation Center in Grand Prairie, Texas. They're going to place us into a prison. You'll never meet them. Inside the BOP, probably your case manager, unit team, and the warden, with most of your time spent with your case manager and unit team, have extraordinary amount of um, responsibility and discretion over what you do and how and where you sleep, the job you get, um, what programs you're at, you have access to, how quickly you can, you can transition out of the Federal Bureau of Prisons and either into a halfway house or to home confinement. Then the residential reentry manager, they're going to depend on the case manager for referring you into their halfway house. Then once you before you get into supervised release at home, the probation officer, once again, is going to look into all of your records that you get from the Federal Bureau of Prisons, including your pre-sentence report. So that's who are they? What do they want to see? These same stakeholders. Because everything that we have to do has to be done essentially from their perspective. What are they looking to see from this through their eyes? They need to see that first and foremost, forget the fact that you don't believe you have to go to prison. Your family and friends and wife, siblings and wife, everyone that knows you, they don't think you have to go to prison. And I don't think you have to go to prison, but none of that matters. If you pled guilty, then according to the court, you're guilty. If you went to trial and you're guilty, then you're guilty. And so to the stakeholders, all that they see through their eyes, through their perception of you, is you're already guilty. And so you already have criminogenic needs. And so they need to see a reduction in those criminogenic needs. And that that can only be seen over time through incremental improve, incre, incre, incremental improvements if you're actually are truly innocent and we've all read about it seen it in news reports online on tv where someone is released from prison where they're innocent they've been there 20 30 years if you're truly attorney innocent, we can still address these issues. It just needs to be done on a case-by-case basis because according to the court, you're still guilty. But we can still identify with the pain points where we can accept remorse, accept responsibility, understand the pain that was inflicted to the person and and have the reentry plan where we're not going to be back in this courtroom again. And so this is, it's a writing the narrative for this particular situation is more done on a case-by-case basis. It still has to be done while you're not guilty. We can skirt around the explanation here a, a bit. But according to all stakeholders, for the most part, 
in their eyes, you're guilty. And from that, from that agreed upon starting point, we move forward. But as we're starting, but as we're moving forward, forward, let's digress just a bit. Who's the number one person that as you first begin to write this autobiography, um, the narrative, your story, the number one person that it matters to is you. Because it's us. It's I, It was me. Well, it would have been me if I knew about it. You have to be honest with yourself yourselves. It sounds simple, but it took me years, believe me, to think like to be be able to understand all the nuances of what I did clearly. I really did. The problem is, is that for all of you, you don't have years to write, you know, to like to come to grips with your story, your narrative as to the crime you perpetrated. And so it really requires quality time between you and someone who will not enable you. In other words, it can't be between you and a loved one because you'll never be able, I don't want to say never, but you don't want it to be with you and enabler because you need to get past that point to where you're able to recognize that there was a crime permitted, there were victims, and that you have remorse for it. In the same vein, your attorney doesn't have this have that amount of that does not have the leeway of time. Hopefully, you've, you've given them a clear ver version of the truth as to what happened yesterday. Because if your attorney is surprised in the courtroom, they may be embarrassed, but you're the only ones going to suffer. So I divided this into two sections. So the first is going to be, it's your life story. It's your autobiography. And it's going to take time. It's going to take time with someone who's not going to enable you. It's going to take months to write, rewrite. And by the time that you're done, um, it's going to be a distilled version of who you are, honest and true where you've accepted remorse you have understood that the pain you've accepted that there's pain that you have caused to the victims and you realize that there's things you need to do to make things right be that the programs that you are going to take th to address your criminogenic needs in prison so that you can prove to the victims to your family, to the community, to yourself, um, that you're a better person once you return. Taking of the if you if it's a substance abuse problem, narcotics anonymous, alcoholics anonymous, etc., gamblers anonymous, pornography, the sex therapy type programs, or therapy sessions. But it's your life story autobiography, and it's all in first person. So it's, you know, where you were born. If it was a different country, how did you get here? Did you speak English when you got here? Was it a, was it difficult to learn English? Did you, was, were you hungry growing up? Was there food in the home? Was there uh, sexual abuse in the home, drug abuse, alcohol? You know, were your parents at home? Were they in prison? Would your parents get along? Was there siblings? Did they get along? Was there gang life? Was there 
what was the overall environment like at home? Did did you go to school? Um, was there enough food to eat at home? Was there um, was there a good teaching environment for you to do your homework at home and then go to school? Did you work while you were in school? Did you graduate high school? Did you go to college? Did you were able to uh, work to go to college or just go to college? Did you go to professional school? Um, did you have any challenges as an adult? Were there work challenges, physical challenges? Um, was there anything, was there a trigger that caused you, that caused this criminal act, any addictions, emotional stresses? Was there any therapist that you had to go to or that you chose to go to with their names and contact information? Through all of this, did you on your own, have you gone to, and I've referenced it, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, Narcotics Anonymous, Gamblers, where there, there was a sex crime, the appropriate therapist type programs that are available and acknowledging that the damage has been done to others and you are responsible and the steps that you may take to fix this going forward. The reentry plan is that you're not going to have all the answers to everything, but you can acknowledge that since the indictment or if there was an arrest that you've had, you know, that in the quiet moments, you had time to realize that you didn't understand that what you were doing was as bad as it was and that there were victims and you know, you that you want them to know that you're responsible for the pain that you acknowledge and you're responsible for the pain that you caused them. And you would like to be able to do all that you can to make things right when you are able or as much as you can. In drafting the narrative and then the re-entry plan as part of that, um, acknowledging that you know that there are criminogenic need programs in the first step back that you would be, that you will be able to participate in so that you can prove to your victims the community your family and last yourself um, that you're doing as much as you can uh all of this, including be able to get into the programs from the first step back that address the criminogenic needs, that there are these assessment questions that you will have reviewed. All of these, that information is woven into a document that the your attorney has provided to the probation officer, and they've been able to weave it into the pre-sentence interview that will move into the pre-sentence report so that during the interview now first of all the probation officer may be grateful that they've been able to have all most of this information already filled in because they have no time and this may save them some time and then they can get to know you during the interview which could work out in your favor. Then all of this will go to the judge, which could prompt the allocution or your conversation with the judge at the sentencing hearing. 
which may or may not be of benefit, but at least you may see that it'll give you a cathartic experience to have come clean if for no other reason than with yourself. But it will also be part of the pre-sentence report, which will follow you into the Federal Bureau of Prisons. It will have been read by those other stakeholders, your case manager, unit team, and then into the halfway house, if that is the direction you are going, into the, and be read by your residential reentry managers, as well as the probation officer should you go to supervised release. Your story is written, as I said, narrative in first person. And it's talking about release, or excuse me, remorse, which I've discussed. Because the judge wants to know that you're sorry for your actions and understands that there's consequences and how, because of how you have harmed others. He also wants to hear that you've learned from your mistake and that you won't be back again. They don't want to see you again. There's a lot here. Go to my website. I didn't learn all this or I didn't, I was unprepared, I should say, because I heard the judge say that, but my attorney and I weren't paying attention, I guess. He or she wants to know that you've learned from your mistake again, right? You won't be back in this situation again. Show them how you've learned. If there was a substance abuse, again, you've started these programs before the pre-sentence interview. But if you haven't done it, if you don't have the substance abuse or any of these issues, or if you do have them and you haven't started the programs, don't say you have. Restitution, as long as it's not in the multi-millions, if you have, you know, hundreds of thousands or a lot less, try and put away $100 a week and bring that in at the sentencing hearing. The second big part that I wanted to go through is that the minute you hear that, and it's probably not in the right order, that should be number one, but when you hear that you're the target right away, get an attorney. Again, interview attorneys to make sure you get along, make sure that they practice in the same that they have cases that are similar to yours and they practice in federal criminal court. Then, if in fact you have, it's a drug crime, it's a narcotic crime, it's a gambling's crime, it's a sex crime, begin these appropriate programs like now. Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics, Gamblers Anonymous. If, if it's a um, pornography type of crime, start a sex therapy program, either online or um, actually with a sex therapist, uh, you know, one-to-one locally. And if your attorney feels, they may suggest strongly a forensic evaluation. But if you, when your lawyer tells you to, or recommends something, do it. Um, it's, you know, while it may be a recommendation, they've done this before. If you've done this before, then not very good because the judge isn't going to be lenient. But if it's your first time, you know, use their recommendations and do what they suggest you do. Now, as you're approaching, as I've already, um, as I've already alluded to, in your narrative, your reentry plan, your um, you're addressing the the First Step Act Spark 13 assessment questions. 
along with the financial responsibility program that if you have a financial penalty, you know that you are going to be responsible for making payments. All of that needs to be either written into the document you give to the probation officer or discussed with them at the pre-sentence interview because one, the judge is going to want to hear it. And two, without working this plan out with your unit team case manager and case manager, you may not be able to participate in some of the first step back programmings, nor get all of the earned time credits you need for earlier release. Next, between that time, if your sentencing date is a long way off, don't show up at sentencing where you've been watching TV feeling depressed and that's what the judge hears. The judge needs to know that you've either had a job or been volunteering somewhere. You, you, you don't want to be telling the job you, the, the uh, judge you've been watching TV depressed or playing cards or just doing nothing. You must, I mean, if, you, if you're a CEO and you've been making, I don't know, $800,000 a year, triple net, and you've been now been delivering pizza for three years, perfect. That's what you need to do. Well, I was getting my medical license back. I was not, you know, earning the same money I was making, you know, in that period of time. I was just, I was working in a friend's restaurant for a short period of time. And so this is, I hope you have found this helpful. If you want to engage, if you want to engage me, give me a call, uh, the, you know, my conference call with you via Zoom or, or over the phone. There's no charge for it at all. I'd be grateful to speak with you, but find somebody, if not me, anybody who was qualified to speak with you. Thank you very much. I hope you found this helpful and have a good day.